welcome to another episode of the most serious podcast and uh, today i have ryan bush with me and uh, ryan is an author ryan is someone who you might have come across one way or the other on the internet and uh, i am super grateful ryan for coming on the show and uh, let's just tell me what you're thinking today what's been the primary piece of focus that's been on your mind today Oh, great question. Yeah, and and I'm happy to be here too. Thanks for having me. But um yeah, today I'm I'm uh I'm actually kind of still making little tweaks to um to the the manuscript at this point. I'm almost to the point where I have to lock it in and so I'm responding to a lot of kind of feedback from early readers and trying to integrate it and and pull this whole thing together. So, I'm kind of thinking about everything from, you know, uh everything from like uh refining this theory and and updating the research and stuff of all of it to uh like making an animation video to help demonstrate it to people really quickly so it's uh it's a lot of craziness right now but i'm excited to have people like you i can come and kind of discuss it and informally and just uh explore the philosophy what does becoming who you are uh actually translate to when i say these words what does it mean what what's the initial thought that comes to your head Yeah, so the the words have uh, an interesting philosophical history. Nietzsche talked about becoming who you are and Nietzsche was always very cryptic in his writing. It's hard to know what anything means unless you've really explored like all of his books and I kind of have at this point. So I've been able to piece together what he was talking about and I've concluded that it's very similar to what uh Abraham Maslow was talking about for example when he talked about self-actualization self-becoming uh becoming the person you were sort of meant to be and i think that in many ways this is uh it's destined in a sense it's built into our genes and our brains uh because we have these innate uh ideals these innate values that we are constantly evaluating the world around us according to uh we are constantly observing people and their behaviors that we admire and others that we disapprove of and in many ways these impulses inside of us that we don't all pay that much attention to they essentially provide a map or a you know a compass for navigating our lives and deciding you know where to go so that we can become that person that we admire that currently we're seeing all these other people that embody these ideals how do we get to where those ideals and the reality of our personal character and our actions and our lives uh, line up i think when you get to that point uh that's when you've become who you are when your own ideals and admiration lines up with who you are uh in reality and i think uh yeah it's really interesting to explore how different different philosophers and different scientists have basically all said the same thing in a lot of different ways and a lot of what i'm doing in this book is kind of piecing all those different ways together and into a coherent kind of map or a theory when i was reading and before before we just started recording i was talking to you about this only that how much i appreciated just the introduction of the book and how i it felt like you had an insight into my own mind um and we were discussing dostoevsky and we were discussing like how writers who just write with no filter and who are just uh able to translate what's going on in your head into a piece of text that certainly makes uh makes it just one hell of a journey for any reader i want to really know that 
when you say your ideals when you say who you think you are when you say like the mental models you've built or just the you know whatever data set that you've consumed in your life and then you've made something out of it how do you know that that is truly you and that's not just a you know eclectic mix of your surroundings your environment great question and and i think nietzsche is actually a great one to consult on this because he talked about uh you know the process for doing this and one of the early steps is to kind of take a philosophical wrecking ball to all of your current beliefs all of your cultural baggage that you've inherited uh, and seeing what kind of remains after you've knocked all that down and so it, it takes a period of questioning the sort of uh, cultural ideals questioning the things that are lifted up in our society uh, rejecting those and saying, no, no, what what really is it that brings me this kind of pride and fulfillment? Um, and and I think the way to do that is through a kind of experimental process. So as you go through your life, you try different things, you try on different masks, you could say, different versions of you. Um, you take You try a lot of things out that aren't going to be rewarding, that aren't really for you, even though you thought that was you. Um, and, and you have to learn from these experiments and say, and when you, when you notice that something really is deeply fulfilling, uh, you got to pay attention to that and you got to design your life around it. Now, these are the, the traits that have been called virtues in the past. Um, you know, we don't hear that word as much today, unfortunately, but essentially, um, you know, the ancient Greeks, for example, talked about, uh, the importance of these virtues for our own happiness. And they said, uh, basically, if you live a virtuous life, you will live a happy life. You you will achieve this peak kind of well-being called eudaimonia. Uh, and and the more you can align with these deep sort of uh, these deep virtues that we observe throughout cultures, it kind of doesn't matter. We see it uh, in everyone. Um, the the higher you climb in terms of your well-being, and so th the way to figure that out is to take a step and then listen for the the reaction listen listen to your own uh, mental reactions the pride you feel the admiration you have for yourself and when you do something that maybe you've been encouraged to do in in your society and then you you don't feel that great about yourself maybe you even feel a little bit ashamed of what you've done you got to really pay attention to that and you got to got to design your life around that and and kind of craft the different domains that allow you to bring out your virtues accordingly so Ryan, like I recently shot an episode, it was, I, I think it's released now. Yeah. So I recently released an episode on the life of Benjamin Franklin and I read his autobiography this early this year and he had these 13 virtues. And uh, during that episode, I was talking about how just having a set of virtues, how just having some set of values ties so close to, you know, it's just a code of conduct. It's just giving structure to your life. It's just giving more uh, order. And also it allows you to know actually what you stand for. And I felt that that's just a great model to live your life in general, because I, I can say for myself that sometimes we are just floating around in a mix of whatever has been presented to us. And uh, because that uh, experiment with that wrecking ball uh, is... I don't know why do we put that away. Maybe we, maybe we can talk about this also. Why do you think people put away that confrontation with themselves of trying to figure out who they really are? 
Yeah. So a couple of things. One, uh, yeah, I, I really like the model that Benjamin Franklin kind of used in his own life um, and those virtues he developed very similar to my own in a lot of ways. Um, it, it is funny to note that he created like this really rigorous kind of habit schedule of, of bringing out all yeah. these virtues. <laughs> and he found it to be like way too overwhelming and demanding and kind of gave <laughs> up on that. Um, <laughs> it's a funny thing to note. But um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people kind of put off this process because there's a lot of uncomfortable stuff that you'll come across when you do. You're inevitably going to realize that you personally fall short of a lot of the things you value in a lot of ways. And and it's going to take a long process to eventually get there and line up with it. It is much, much easier to distract yourself. Uh, and, and you have a million tools today for doing that. There's all kinds of distractions. And some people truly are able to fill all of their time with distractions to the point where they they don't actually ever uh, they don't actually ever spend any time with themselves <laughs> and it's it's crazy but you know I've heard you know therapists suggest to their patients why don't you try going on a walk without putting in the headphones and listening to something and they're like oh my god why like I would never do that that sounds like boring and scary <laughs> and like um, I I think. It, it's in some ways we we have too many ways of escaping the uncomfortable truths we need to face in our mind. Um, you know, I basically I, I developed this set of introspection cards um, in responding to this exact thing because I realized that the kind of questions I was going on long walks and asking myself uh, that allowed me to get a lot of clarity on who I was and what I needed to do are not questions that most people are asking themselves when they're kind of at the early stages of their lives. So I made 81 prompts that you could go on a walk and take a card every day and write down the answers to these questions. Like, who do you admire and what do you admire about them, right? What are the 10 people that provide the most sort of inspiration for who you want to become? And what are those <laughs> traits? And how can you build a little more of those traits into your own life, right? These are These are the kind of questions that, I think we all need to be asking and mapping out and no one really forces us to, no one ever really tells us to. I think we can definitely uh, link those up uh, for people to, you know, get those, get their hands on those cards. I also have another resource similar to what you're talking about is a list of 45 difficult questions by Morgan Housel. Have you heard of that list? No. I so I... Yeah, I think I'll I'll probably share that with you. It's it's definitely so thought provoking, and sometimes I think that uh, some of these questions are so hard, and uh, like some of these questions, maybe they're not so hard as well. But you just have predisposed answers fed to your mind that you that's your initial response, just to wave them off. So you don't want to get to that level where you are actually answering those questions. Like if someone asks you you know, something which is personal, something which is challenging, which requires you to probe in, then you would have uh, already set of answers, which is, you know, surface level answers that you're ready for, that you can just, you know, mm -hmm. kind of deliver. And I think that is something we also, that is something I've observed that we get into that loop of just thinking that we are limited to those answers. We're limited to that surface level experience. But once you really start to sit down and uh, for me, Ryan, this has been like a journey with meditation. Whenever I, mm -hmm. uh, whenever I feel that I'm consistent with meditation, whenever I feel that I allow myself the time, 
there is so much more authenticity there is so much more sense of self as well like almost all of that rushness almost all of that you know panic of getting somewhere trying to go somewhere kind of settles settles down and you can you can try to live life at your own pace do you have similar yeah. experience in meditation or any insights that you want to share yeah i have an interesting relationship with meditation and mindfulness and all that because um you know from a from a really early age i was very interested in my own mind i was very interested in observing my own thoughts and emotions and and even going in and trying to change them and saying like oh can i you know make myself feel this emotion when this happens instead of the negative one um and so this was kind of my fascination as i was kind of a, a teenager and other people were paying attention to the world around them <laughs> i was paying attention to the world inside me and so right, yeah um, yeah and so so in many ways i think i was doing something similar to meditating from that early age when i got a little older and i started hearing all about mindfulness and meditation i was like oh this is right up my alley i need to try this and i started you know when i was in college i meditated every day for a year um not like for an insane long amount of time but like 10 15 minutes a day and uh there were some benefits that definitely came along with it i think i was less uh invested in myself uh i think i was you know better able to focus on things that were not that interesting to me but uh overall i sort of came to the conclusion that uh i'm naturally kind of like someone who has a meditative practice that I don't even try to do that's more cognitive introspection. And I sort of get my meditation exercise through that. It's almost like um, it's almost like running on the treadmill versus playing tennis. It's like, mm. you know, running on the treadmill clearly is a good activity to do that will get you in shape. Uh, playing tennis is just a really fun thing that you can take as sort of a path to mastery and you'll get in shape through the process without making it a deliberate practice. Um, that being said, I've realized that a lot of people don't have this metacognitive awareness and they really don't know what's going on inside their own head. And they really do just accept their thoughts as reality immediately. And that's why I've made mindfulness and meditation kind of a prerequisite in all of my books, everything I've created. I generally start out by telling people, you should probably be meditating. You should be observing your thoughts and trying to get better at knowing what's going on in your head. Because if you don't know what's going on up there, you can't actually change it. You've got no shot. Uh, there's, uh, similar to what you said, uh, so I think Alan Watts said this, that if you are thinking all the time, then you have nothing to think about than thoughts. Right. Yeah, it's true. That's the That's the role that metacognition plays of stepping back and thinking about the thoughts and observing the thoughts. Um, and Alan Watts is, he's one of my favorite thinkers, teachers. Um, I love everything he's done. And it's, it's interesting that he has a book called become what you are. And I'm coming <laughs> out with his book called become who you are. And there is some, some interesting interactions between those ideas. I don't, um, you know, necessarily accept some of the ideas that are very common and, you know, Buddhism and Taoism and that kind of thing that uh, that we shouldn't have a sense of self, that we should transcend our ego entirely. One mm. of the arguments I make in this book is that 
the ego or the self, it can cause us a lot of suffering, right? But it can also produce the greatest, deepest happiness when we become a self that we're truly proud of. And so instead of trying to disable that self, I encourage people to work on it and enhance it and build it up to the point where you can honestly say you're proud of that self and you're happy to get to be a self that you love every day. I see so many similarities between, uh, you know, the journey that you've took and uh, similar to like how I've had these introductions with uh, similar things like mindfulness, meditation, or just all of these authors. I really want to know this, like, because I know Ryan, I think it's not as uncommon uh, for people to have these thoughts, for people to have a realization of um, maybe self or maybe you know just their mind but this is very uncommon that you know going on and writing books about it and becoming you know a very well-established author making people reconnect with their own selves and just doing that extra step so most of the people they stop at once they're you know kind of in an okay place with themselves but what mm-hmm. what was it that pushed you to do all of this, like, why, why did you write books? Why did you think of giving back in a sense? And also like, what, what was the need to share? Great question. A lot of, a lot of answers to that. I mean, for one thing, um, you know, we talk about giving back, like, oh, I, I got all this good, these personal benefits from these ideas. And now I need to do the altruistic self-sacrificing thing and give it to others. And the, the reality is that sharing these ideas and, and being able to put all of my personal strengths together into my work has been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And so it's very selfishly rewarding to uh, put your work out there and share it with people and see that they're benefiting from it. Um, but really, you know, it was it was around 2017, 2018, I was coming to the conclusion that I, you know, I had this note taking app that I was like crashing because I had so many notes in it from (laughs) the last decade of both observing my own mind and researching and studying and reading all these other books. And so I had all these ideas. I was like, like, my brain is going to explode if I don't get them out somewhere. And also, you know, there's clearly a book here that people could benefit from. So I need to do the work to actually put that book together. Um, I, I sometimes say I, I was waiting for someone else to write this book um, for my first book. And then I realized at one point I was going to have to do it. Um, but but at that point, I sort of figured out a way to combine all these different things that I was um, that I've been building up skills in. I combined the philosophy and the psychology that I'd been so interested in with the design skill set and and business and marketing that I've been studying in school and everything and sort of brought it all together in one place. And that's one of the most powerful things you can do. If you can yeah. find a way to combine all of your strengths and passions into one place, uh, it just kind of takes off and goes crazy. And so I went part time at my current job at the time. I went, you know, two days a week, 60% pay cut so that I could write this book three days a week um, and, you know, figure everything out for that. And that's what kind of started all all this path, that first book, and then uh, enabled me to 
piece together and write the second one and and all the programs and products that I've built along with it. So it's uh it's been a selfishly very rewarding path, but it's good to know that from a more selfless kind of perspective, it has helped a lot of people and and changed lives even. It sure has, Ryan. And uh, I feel like you have tinkered a lot with uh, human psychology and philosophy. Certainly most of the people that who end up listening to this show have. Uh, so I really want to ask this question to you that you've understood a lot of stuff or at least we believe or you believe that you have. Let's try to see what are the things that you still struggle to understand about human nature, human philosophy, human psychology. Mm, very good question. Uh, I I do have like a, a, a special part of my notes app where I write down like plot holes or things that don't fully add up to me. And I think, um, you know, some of them are pretty deep in the weeds of this theory and everything, but some of them are a little bigger picture. I mean, uh, I am very curious about human values and and the role that they play in our well-being and how we develop them. Uh, the stance I've taken and what I think is most likely is that we do have a common core of values and and virtues that, um, you know, we share pretty much across cultures and that they play a very important role in our psychology and our mood and our well-being. Um, but, you know, sometimes the, the kind of thought that keeps me up at night is, what if that's not true? What if, what if we really do yeah. just have these values that we inherit from our society um, and there's no universal core to any of it, it and it doesn't necessarily affect our satisfaction? So what if I really could, you know, start taking actions that I didn't approve of and be perfectly happy doing it? I mean, I don't see that as a real likely possibility, but I do like to remind myself I could be wrong in some of these assumptions. Um, and there, there is definitely some mystery left. You know, I want to understand a lot about happiness works on the neurological level that I don't fully understand. I mean, we've got these sort of neurochemicals that everyone thinks they have a general idea of like, oh, dopamine is like the pleasure one and serotonin <laughs> is like happiness. But there's a lot more to it than that. Every time yeah. I dig into it, I'm just overwhelmed by the complexity of our brains and, um, you know, ultimately figuring out how we can overcome some of the tendencies like habituation that we develop in our brains. I mean, can we truly get to where um, we can be content no matter what? Can we truly get to a place of deep equanimity to the point where we don't, um, our, our happiness doesn't just disappear after we accomplish that new thing? Uh, we don't start worrying when that threat comes along that threatens to take it. Um, and we truly can get to a place where we're just um, content no matter what happens. I think it's, um, you know, that that question of true enlightenment, I think, is one of the big question marks because I haven't gotten there myself. And, and as a result, I don't know if the people who claim that they have are <laughs> being honest with the world or, or being honest with themselves. And so... Um, yeah, I, I would love to know the answer of true enlightenment and whether it's possible. It's a very interesting uh, segue to what you've uh, just mentioned that I I am trying to think of, uh, you know, what are my thoughts on can you actually achieve a state of contentment or happiness wherein it is not 
subject to you know the how your environment plays out i think it brings me back to that uh, just just that mental exercise of you know how meditation mindfulness actually works like taking a step back realizing what contentment actually means taking a step back and realizing what happiness actually means to you and not you know what's the standard definition of it and mm-hmm. uh, trying to spend more time there and trying to see like where does it go away when does, when it does go away where does contentment of you actually go away do can you can you tell me a point like it went away at 4 3 pm <laughs> like if right. you just try to mess around with that i think you 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 might get somewhere but uh, yeah this is this is really interesting ryan i also want to know like how do you uh, so you've got so much inside your head right this i ask from a very practical perspective because i think this helps a lot of people living their daily lives as well uh you have so much inside your head and now you want to communicate that to people around you how do you do you have mental models for that do you have a standard set of uh, rules that you've built or just a habit practice that you've had which allows you to be so better in communication like if a person who's a truly creative and they're listening to the show and they have this problem of not expressing as much as they want to how do they mm. go about doing that good question it's a it's definitely a messy process i've never gotten to where there's just a do step 1 do step 2 step 3 and then you're done uh and it's a, a little different every time i try to bring something out i mean my first book uh i wrote over the course of 2 years and it was it was a pretty difficult process cuz i hadn't done a lot of writing i'd never written a book before i didn't know how to structure it i didn't really know what what parts what like uh what type of writing really resonated with people well now i know you know things like what people highlighted in the first book what they really liked what stood out to them that they've shared with me uh and and just getting that feedback is an important part of it um i think you know the second book this one become who you are it was a much smoother process cuz i had just kind of taught my brain this is how it goes and when i have a bad day where i feel like what i've written is garbage my brain kind of just naturally says oh yeah that's a part of the writing process you're going to feel like that some days you need to get a night's sleep and then you'll be okay the next day um yeah. and so i i think um in terms of like structuring your work uh what i tried to do initially was create this big like two dimensional mind map um and i realized that that was never going to work i had like <laughs> 3000 notes and looking at 3000 notes on a screen is just like so crazy and overwhelming um and so a lot of it was kind of learning on the fly and structuring it the best i could and then realizing halfway through writing no that structure is not going to work i'm going to have to change it the biggest thing is just committing to putting your thoughts down on paper in whatever form they come and you can clean them up and restructure them later uh i've found Focusmate is an incredible tool for doing this. Uh something I discovered when I was writing my first book. It basically pairs you up with random strangers who are oh. trying to accomplish the same task or not oh. the same task, just their own task. So you have a an hour-long video call with someone else where you basically just uh say, "Hey, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm going to try to do by the end." And then you both silently work on your stuff. And this kind of tricks your brain into really doing what you said you were going to do. So if yeah. you said you were going to write a thousand yeah. words, 
yeah, you really will be like, oh, I got to write a thousand words and you won't stop to edit them, which is kind of the tendency we all have to want to perfect things. And it's kind of crippling. And so it's really about getting those thousand words down and then doing it again and again. And then the editing part will come e more easily. And so that's um, that that's kind of the, the process for express expressing all these ideas and structuring them is just making sure you commit to getting them down in whatever form they come and then they will take shape over time that's that's i think that's a practical way for anyone to go about uh tell me this ryan have you ever been to india i have not been to india closest i've been is indonesia which was two years ago okay uh, yeah. I think you should definitely come here because there's a side to you, which I feel, uh, you know, you have to experience India. You have to be here <laughs> to actually live that culture around. And I think this, yeah. whenever you plan this trip, it's going to be, it's going to give you answers and maybe a lot more questions as well. Oh yeah. I, I absolutely want to go. It's very much on my list. And I think, uh, I think a big part of the culture would really resonate with me too. It, it's a, a lot more, kind of contemplative, I think, than American culture is as a general rule. And so it might fit my nature a lot better. Yeah, I think like just spending some time, uh, you know, with people who, so there are like, a you know, there are multiple places in India and every place has a different culture, every place has a different energy. But I feel you would relish your time so much spending into just the environment surrounding and also like the spectrum of people that you might just meet here I, I think that mm. will just you know open you up to so much more uh of yeah. what you've already experienced that i feel that you might end up writing another book <laughs> <laughs> i bet i would let's make it happen maybe next yeah. year is the year <laughs> let me know whenever you are in, in india <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah so yeah like ryan i think uh, definitely this conversation has been we've touched upon so many topics but i really want to get some more out of you before we uh, conclude the <laughs> talk so I, I i just want to know like as a kid do you feel like when you were a kid do you feel there are still goals there are still milestones that you thought of that you want to achieve that are yet left on your bucket list and uh, you know that are that are just true to you and that doesn't that wasn't something that got inspired because you saw people around you do that 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 was very core to you do you think things like those are left that is a really good question um when i think about the goals i had as a kid um most of them were either like unrealistic or like not really that true to me um you know, like I, I wanted to be a salesman because my dad was a salesman. Um, and that's the only reason I needed as a kid. Well, now, um, you know, in some ways I'm a salesman because I have products that I promote and stuff, but um, the kind of salesman that he is, that that's definitely not, that doesn't really resonate with me. And so I think it was mostly a process of figuring out uh, more about myself over the years. Uh, that being said, when I, when I got a little older, um, you know, I, I started realizing my kind of creative capacities when I was in high school, I started deciding, man, I really want to like use ideas to transform the world, to do things that haven't been done before. And, um, that type of bucket list thing is still, still very much there. You know, I, in some ways I decided to write a book because that was the most accessible way to get my ideas out there. 
um, for one person without a huge team and a huge budget. But in many ways, I'd like to do things a lot more ambitious than just writing books. I would like to create really, uh, really interesting, elaborate software that can teach people these principles in a more automatic kind of gamified way. I would like to build, you know, in-person mind form centers that are essentially uh, like fitness centers or or health clubs, but for mental health and mental fitness. Um, and, and I would like to do these things in a way that we really haven't seen before. And that's, that's kind of the next phase of all this. And so I, I definitely have some of those bucket list items that I haven't hit yet, but it, it took me until I was kind of a young adult before those really came clearly into view. Well, these, these spark uh, another uh, conversation, the, the topics you've just talked about, like, you know, creating all of those. Um, I think, yeah, that, that is, that just sounds so exciting to me. Do you want to <laughs> shed more light on those? Do you want to talk about them? Oh, I could talk about them for hours, <laughs> but I, I would, uh, I would almost rather show you, uh, it'll take a little time, but I, I do want to kind of demonstrate these things. I've yeah. been designing, I've designed everything from like the app screens, uh, to the like physical building designs for these centers I want to build. And so a lot of it comes down to, uh, refinement and raising the funds. Um, it's a part of what I want want to do with this book. So, uh, you know, pre-order when it's available should be very soon. Um, I, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I have a million, we'll, million thoughts and ideas about those. We'll definitely have that, uh, every link to your, every resource in the description so that people can reach out and I'll definitely go through those 51 questions for me to go on Vox, 81 questions, I think, uh, to go on Vox and think about. Thank you so much, Ryan, for being on the show, man. It was lovely talking to you. I think we'll definitely have you on the show again for some more thought provoking and, you know, more, uh, just getting more inside what's inside of your head. But till the time we do that, people can pre-order your book. People can have a look at the resources that you've built. Uh, very grateful that you came. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. It was a great conversation. And uh, yeah, if they want, your your listeners can uh, go to designingthemind.org slash psychitecture. You can put a link because it's hard to spell, but yeah. <laughs> uh, they can get a couple of my existing books for free. The Book of Self-Mastery is a quote compilation book and the, the Psychitext Toolkit is an overview of some of my core ideas. And so, um, yeah, go there, hop on the email list, and then you'll know everything about the new book too. But thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Ryan.